Oh, yeah. Now I've got that all. Um, ready to go. Ready to go for this mixed up confusion. Man, and it's a killing me. There's just too many people. And they're all too hard to please. That's what I was missing. The yelling. The yelling. Well, the yelling is back, Kelly, in this very special mixed up confusion. It is special. 1965, episode 50. Who knows how many of these we've done? I don't know. If you haven't listened to Highway 61 revisited our review of the entire album, please go listen to that first. It'll make a lot more sense why you're here. If you haven't listened to the playlist that we're going to be talking about, it might not be 100% necessary because we're not diving really into the songs. We're more kind of talking about the artists themselves and just kind of like our associations with them and stuff like that. We'll talk about the songs, but you probably know a lot of these songs, admittedly. We didn't go super obscure. Uh, We admittedly also took away all of the jazz. Uh, A lot of great jazz records from this year, but we are not jazz critics. We're hardly music critics of any kind. (laughs) Why would we start talking about jazz out of nowhere? So we did eliminate a lot of that. Um, So so if you want that, there's plenty of places to get that kind of stuff. Uh, We might throw a couple of them on the playlist later, but we are not going to be talking about that. If you're also interested in uh, Hobby 61 Revisited, we are also on patreon.com slash SOTWpod. You can listen to us ramble for about 20 minutes about uh, the songs that we also had on Highway 61 Revisited featuring uh, Sleepy John Estes, The Violent Femmes, Lead Belly, etc. Rocky Horror, <laughs> all, kinds of, all kinds of shit. The Beatles, a little band called The Beatles, you might have heard of. Uh, so you can hear us just talk, kind of ramble about that. Uh, if you're listening to this in real time, uh, Patreon is is free this month, so you can just go on uh, and and love it all to your heart's content. Um, otherwise, uh, if you don't mind giving us a buck, give us a buck. You know, it's, it's whatever. That's why we're here. But let's get on with this mixed up confusion, Kelly. 1965. There was a little bit of an intro where we talked about the book 1965, uh, the revolutionary year in music. So to not go to not retread back over that, uh, making the case for 65 being. Um, on par, if you will, with 1967, which is a much more memorable year in rock music and sort of counterculture uh, in America, I say we just ch- sort of jump right in to 1965. Yeah. And I think the best way to start is kind of, um, you know, hyping up a playlist, you know, that we're going to talk about and then not talking about it. So that's how we're going to talk. Oh. Let's talk about the top 10 songs of the year itself. Sure. Which will lead us into why... The majority of them are not actually even on our playlist. So are you talking sales? So these, these are sales, airplay, whatever they were recording, the singles, uh, the top 10 singles of the year. So these are the songs that all of America was listening to in 1965. I don't know. However, Billboard does it. I don't know. You're looking at me quizzically. I don't know. Oh, from Billboard. Know. I was just wondering where you yeah, got it from. Yeah, from Billboard. Okay. Yeah. I, where else would you possibly get it? I don't know. Great question. Yeah, there's nowhere else. So from Billboard, of course. Uh, so let's just start um, from the bottom. Number 10, My Girl by The Temptations. My girl. Which is kind of crazy. Now we're like, oh. I, that that song is like out of time for me. So that's weird to like. I oh, know. I it. had that moment multiple times this week listening to this playlist because I was like, this is all happening while Highway 61 is happening. Yeah. And like, it feels so anachronistic anachronistic for me to hear these things at the same time. Yeah. I don't it's know. It's very weird. To think about. Nine. Your mom will be very happy crying in the chapel by all this. Mm-hmm. Can't You Hear My Heartbeat by Herman's Hermits. Yeah. I don't know that at oh. all. Little song, little band called The Beatles, called Help. Now, Help is not on our playlist, but a song from Help is on. So we're going to let that one slide a little bit. Number six, Downtown by Petulia like, Clark. Downtown. When Weird. life is on mm-hmm. and it's making you know. Okay. That's right. Uh, you've lost that love and feeling by the Righteous Brothers. Oh, yeah, okay. Know that one too. You have to call yourself the Righteous Brothers. You a king who has to call himself a king. That's <laughs> okay. Uh, you Were On My Mind by We Five. Huh? No, that is that off. You Were Always On My Nope, that's the Johnny Cash song, isn't it? And also, You Were Always instead of You Were On My Mind. Or whatever. Different lyrics. Uh, and then number three, which is on our playlist, I Can't Get No satisfaction uh number two i can't help myself sugar pie honey bunch 
yeah, number two is. of all time by the Four Tops. Uh, so we will talk about those two and uh, the Beatles, obviously. Uh, and then Wooly Bully by Sham and the Pharaohs, which Fuck. has been yes. <laughs> which has been mentioned <laughs> on this podcast a long time ago. So Tell me the Shandells, right? Uh, Sham and the Pharaohs. Oh, <laughs> no. Uh, so, so again, I don't. I have nothing to say about that. I had nothing to say about that before. So we move on. I'm not quite sure. I bring that up only because um, another quote from Andrew Grant Jackson in 1965 uh, says, "Quote: Satisfaction was the anthem of the decade. Like a Rolling Stone would be another contender for that title. Papa's got a brand new bag. Is where James Brown started developing funk, paving the way for hip hop. The Birds' version of Mr. Tambourine Man opened the pop charts to folk rock, and the impressions people get ready encapsulated the phase of the civil rights struggle that was climaxing with Selma and the Voting Rights Act. In regard to integrating society, civil rights leader, civil rights movement leader Andrew Young said, "There's a sense in which the music has been more successful, uh, even than the courts and the church. So in that respect." You'd have to pick some Motown classics. Um, so I think that's an interesting way to start. So if we take those five songs, I Can't Get No Satisfaction, Mr. Tambourine Man, Papa Got a Brand New Bag, The Impressions, People Get Ready, and Like a Rolling Stone. We already spent a lot of time on Like a Rolling Stone. So let's first talk about those four songs in particular sure. uh, to kick off this mixed up confusion. Let's start, it's kind of backwards. Let's start with The Impressions. Get ready. What a classic song. What a song that's like feels like it's existed forever. But man, I mean, in that context too of civil rights and Selma and Voting Rights Act, what a killer track. What like a I don't know, that ethos of just like get on board, the train is coming. I mean Oh yeah. And it does a fun thing with like the stereo sound or quadraphonic sound, whatever you want to call it. There's only half the vocals on either ear. Weird. So it's very strange. It's a very like, quiet song if you only hear half of it. Yeah. Uh, but it's beautiful. And I, uh, I've i heard this song before, Yeah. obviously, but I didn't know that this was the Impressions. No. My introduction to the Impressions was um, a couple years ago, like two years ago, because Oliver Wang, who hosts Heat Rocks, okay. was part of another podcast I used to listen to. Stop listening to it because he was my favorite part of it. and <laughs> He loved it. He left, and I was like, sweet, now he's doing a podcast that's just about him talking about music, which is all I wanted, because yeah. he was like the music component of this pop culture show. Okay. It's like, I just want to listen to that dude talk. The rest of the show is garbage. And uh, <laughs> Morgan Rose is amazing, too. Anyway, he was talking about, it was like a throwaway, and the, what do you recommend this week? And he was like, I went back and listened to This Is My Country from The Impressions, which is from 68, and okay. it's just like the best fucking thing. I can't stop <laughs> listening to it. And I, I listened to that. Um, I made a soul. I went deep into soul two years ago, two, three years ago because of that moment oh, and wow. this, that album. Um, it's so good. It, that yeah. and then also uh, Check Out Your Mind, which is from 73 or four, I think. Did they keep going? That, oh, or? yeah, yeah. Oh. They went, they, they have. Like too long? Went too yeah, long? Yeah, probably. probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have more than 20 albums. Oh, fuck. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because a lot of those bands, they sort of petered out or they went mm-hmm. other places. I mean, like we've talked about Marvin Gaye a lot over the last couple of weeks. I mean, he's been part of these like weird bands and then boom, he's, you know, Marvin Gaye like never was anything else. I didn't know if the Impressions had a similar thing like Guy Leaves and then becomes whoever, you know. Right, yeah. I guess it's more like 10. It's always hard to tell now versus what are collections or what are true albums, right. quote unquote. But yeah, check out your mind 1970. Okay. So they're pretty prolific right in that period from 63 to 76. Okay. 10, 11 albums. But it's worth, I mean, I can't wait to listen to more of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You really something, Sadie. Yeah. Soul. Papa's got a brand new bag. 
hasn't heard that who song? Who hasn't heard that song? Yeah. I mean, I didn't realize he didn't release a record this year, but um, but this was a single, you know, and part of the, you know, I, I based the single list just on um, what uh, Andrew Grant Jackson wrote. Um, that song's great. That song is really great. I never thought of it in the context of, like, hip-hop and, like, what was coming. Because oh, we are yeah. we are a good way away. Um, I just, it never really dawned on me. It wasn't that it's not there. It's more just I don't really draw a through line the way that the way that you should. It makes so total the beginning sense. of hip hop, especially eighties uh, and early nineties, was almost exclusively sampling James Brown music. So it like that funk. Well, I mean that rhythm. Yeah, all of that. You no, no, no. Can't like, stop that. That all makes sense to yeah. me. It just it didn't. It's just not a through. It's not a super through it's line not for me. But super obvious. And actually, towards the end of the beginning of the '90s, if that's even a thing, uh, they stopped being able to do that kind of shit. That's right. why sampling stopped as much as, as like. I mean, it's still producing. Obviously, you're, you're producing the mix, but hip hop used to be exclusively just cutting mm-hmm. tracks together, sampling other music, and yeah. making it something different. You distort it in a way, or you loop two things together that don't usually go together. Um, and they stopped being able to do that because people were like, oh, shit, you're using our music. When rap was underground for so long. Mm-hmm. You were good. And then suddenly everybody's listening to it like, hey, that's my song. Yeah. I mean, Sorry. I remember the Grey album being such a big deal. The Black album, Jay-Z's mm-hmm. Black album, right. with the, the Beatles' White album. And yeah, I can't get away with gotta, that anymore. But now it's such a huge business that you know people want to be sampled. They want to bring put themselves out there. So I think it just fluctuates in waves. And then I think if hip-hop today should just kind of, no, I'm fine. Just keep pushing forward. version i'd ever heard yeah when you said it was a bob dylan song i was like uh, i don't think it is i don't think so it's a bird song yeah i've never listened to the lyrics before and i was like this song is way too fucked up for the birds to be singing i just realized <laughs> and i want to hear bob dylan's version <laughs> wait didn't we actually already hear it did i not pay attention was this is it on john wesley harding no okay thank god never no mind. it's not okay no it's i'm bringing it all back home okay. so um which was also released in 1965. Yeah, so. the lyrics are wild. Oh, it's a wild song. Why is this pop group covering it? It's very weird. Because that was in psychedelic folk rock, man. Um, this this was a big reason why uh, we talked about, we alluded to in our episode uh, on Highway 61, we visited about um, redoing uh, The Sounds of Silence by Simon and Garfunkel. Right, yeah. Based almost solely on the success of this and Turn, Turn, Turn. Like, Tom Wilson had a vision. He understood, if nothing else, he understood the youth. And the youth were clamoring. And for, it's, folk for folk rock. It's hard to envision, Kelly. It's hard to envision these commie socialists who want folk rock and their turtlenecks. But it was true. And uh, and I I don't know. That version is bizarre. It is two and a half minutes long. That song is six minutes long. That is a long song. And it's beautiful. Bob Dylan's version, like much of these songs, is better. That was just like a cute, sweet little nothing song. And oh, then, yeah. oh my God. No, people would be tripping. Yeah. I mean, he'd be tripping. Goddamn. I mean, this is like Lucy and the Sky with Diamonds before Lucy and the Sky with Diamonds. That's yeah, really I had nice. no idea. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. This is one big ass trip. And then, of course, classic, everyone's heard this song uh, The Rolling Stones. I can't get no satisfaction. It sounded good. It just sounded good in your ears. That's what it does. Uh, that bass is so funky, and uh, Mick Jagger's voice is so iconic. I mean, what? I don't know. Just listening to it, you're just you don't even have to think. You don't think. It's just like such a part of our DNA and our cultural uh, psyche at this point that you, 
it's like you're born now knowing this song. It's so yeah, weird. It's, it's just a part of American life. It's just bizarre. Because they're not even American. They're not. I mean, but it was such a big hit. It was such a oh, yeah. enormous hit, and it's such a long-lasting song. It's like like a Rolling Stone. I mean, there's a reason why Bob Dylan's played it forever and ever and ever because there's something about it that is so quintessentially Bob Dylan in like a Rolling Stone that he can look at it over the course of 50 years and be like, "Yeah, I still relate to this. I still like this. This is good." So, what's up with Rolling Stone? Yeah. So, well, the Rolling Stone thing, I think, it all comes from Muddy Waters. So, Muddy Waters had a song. I don't think he created the aphorism. I think it's just. Like a Rolling Stone, the grass, something about the moss or whatever on a Rolling Stone. And you move oh, it. yeah. A Rolling Stone gathers no moss. Exactly. So I think that it's just an aphorism. Muddy Waters made it a song. It was probably a blues song from a long time ago. But I'm sure for them, if it wasn't a, a rando, um, I don't know their access to stuff. I mean, Bob, obviously, we heard in No Direction Home stole all those old records and stuff. I mean, there's probably some Alan Lomax recordings of other Rolling Stone stuff, but I think Muddy Waters was the one that made it famous, and the Muddy Waters influenced the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, Bob Dylan. Every one of them heard that, listened to him. Boom. And then the magazine, same oh, kind same of thing. coincidence. Oh, I, it was founded in 1960. I think it came out in 66, 67. So, yeah, it was called Rolling Stone because of all of it, Bob Dylan and okay. the Rolling Stones, yeah. I mean, they have a, the, probably one of the coziest relationships with Bob Dylan. Yeah. Okay. Period. So. I was just curious. Yeah, it's all related. Absolutely, one hundred percent. I didn't know. But yeah, I know it's really interesting because when you hear it as a kid, you're just like, "What the fuck is going on with this Rolling Stone thing?" But I think it's just a kind of a deep legacy. And that then for some the other song, "Papa Was a Rolling Stone." Yeah. Nice. I actually don't remember who sings that song. Probably everyone. Yeah. Because in reality, Good all point. of these have been sung a million times over and over and over again. All right, so let's let's move off of. Um, you know, what are considered kind of the nexus of where culture and stuff are being pushed to. Uh, we talked, obviously, about the cultural impacts of the civil rights movement, of the war in Vietnam, everything that was happening in the 60s. If you don't know about that, go read a book. I don't know what to tell you. Like, Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping. Left its seeds while I was sleeping And the vision that was planted in my brain Still remains within the sound of silence In restless dreams I walked alone uh, The Sound of Silence. Uh, this was again mixed by Tom Wilson without their knowledge. <laughs> they actually heard this um, while they were away. Simon was horrified by the mix. Garfunkel was like, yeah, this will sell records. This is cool. This is fine. That's my Garfunkel voice. I, mean, I think it's probably um, accurate. Uh, it was, it's number 157 on Rolling Stone's greatest songs of all time. This song's a great. It's a great I mean, it's, I can't not hear it and think of somebody just like, just, just anybody wondering. really suddenly very sad and walking alone. Yeah. But it's a really fantastic song. It's catchy and the singing's beautiful. And it is. That is I, what they got going for them. What is the original version of the song? Because oh, it's just like an it's an acoustic, uh, yeah, kind of just a folk song. Hmm. Um, it was called "The Sounds of Silence," and they changed it back to "The Sound of Silence" hmm. because it's different. You see, in 1999, BMI named "The Sound of Silence" as an 18th most performed song of the 20th century. What were 17 to number one, you ask? Yeah. I believe you asked that. You just asked that. I did. You did. Number 17, Something by George Harrison. And the buys are who wrote them. So this is Something by the Beatles. Something in the way she moves. Oh, yeah. Yep. That's a Uh, cute song. Yeah, it's a great song. Uh, Gentle on My Mind by John Hartford. I know. Some of these I'm like, ooh, I don't even know what this is. Every breath you take by staying. Um, When a man loves a woman. We know that one. I Will Always Love You, Dolly Parton. We know that better from Whitney Houston. More, a song called More by Marcelo. Yeah, this is probably an international song. Number 11, Killing Me Softly with his song. Yeah. Clutch. Who was the original? Uh, Charles Fox and Norman Gimler. Again, they wrote it. So right, right. Whoever, whoever, I don't know. Georgia On My Mind. We know that from uh, Ray Charles. But Hoagie Carmichael. Hoagie. Great name. Uh, and Stuart Gorell. Rhythm of the Rain, not, 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 don't know. Baby, I Need Your Lovin', 
got to have all your love. Nice, you know it. Yeah. Uh, Mrs. Robinson, Paul Simon. Great song. Great song. Uh, Sitting on a Dock of the Bay, Mm -hmm. Otis Redding. Uh, Amazing song. Uh, Can't Take My Eyes Off of You, Bob Crew and Bob Giotto. Another song sampled by the Fugees. Yeah, that's true. There's two already. Mm -hmm. Uh, Stand By Me. Maybe Fuji's too. <laughs> uh, uh, ben E. B- ben E. King. Ben E. King. Come on. What are you doing? Yeah, man. Uh, yesterday. All my troubles seem so far, far away. away. So that was number three. Number two. Never my love. Donald and Richie and Richard Andresi. You ask me if come a time when I Number one, you've lost that love and feeling. Barry Mann, Phil Spector, Cynthia Whale. Do you know that one off yeah. the top of your head? You've lost that love and feeling. Can't stop that love and feeling. Yeah. Who who did oh, it? Oh, oh. It's probably like Captain Sinil or some shit. That's the number one most performed song in the 20th century. Can't help that love. Yeah, I definitely know that song. They're the top 100, and I control f Bob Dylan zero. <clears throat> so just want that to sink in. Uh, Lennon McCartney had five. Really not all along the Watchtower? I know. But no, I mean, when you think about it, those are a little more obtuse. I mean, thinking about something, thinking about yesterday, those are wholesome motherfucking songs. Those are beautiful. I mean, I blame white people for this list. <laughs> Holy. <laughs> like. <laughs> I... I I would guarantee you BMI is probably made up exclusively of old white men, yes, 100%, that have this fake conception of love and society at large and the way that we interact with music, 100%. But it also doesn't take away from all the other men and women who are playing. The, I mean, the whole point I don't know, is I know that, but lots like, of people play them. It seems so weird. Like, all on the watch there, I don't know. I feel like that's another one of those, you were born in America, you heard that song. Not because of Bob Dylan, but... Yeah. Jimi Hendrix, Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah, but you heard it is different than like performing it. Okay. Like who's performing it? And it's a tough song it's to a tough play song. when you're playing Jimmy's version. Right, and it also requires guitars. A lot of those songs require, you can do it with a guitar, you can do it literally with uh, anything. Yeah. Think about that. Though. Okay, that's fair. Because it's like, you can just have acapella singers singing it. Well, you bam, could do that with a long watchtower. You could really. if you were ambitious and actually had any like actual skill beyond your like All right, voice. pentatonics. Come yeah. on. Yeah, do fucking all on the watchtower. Do a Dylan suite. <laughs> fucking dare you. Probably won't even be half as good. <laughs> Shit. Oh, got a little lost there. Okay. Let's uh, add pentatonics. Pentatonics. <laughs> Come at us, bros. <laughs> uh, My Generation and Rubber Soul came out at the end of 1965. Um, kind of set the tone for 66. Uh, Rubber Soul, obviously. Baby, you can drive my car. Beep, beep. That song makes me have anxiety because you beat the horn. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I love doing it on the road, and I will do it for the rest of my entire life. Uh, my generation, uh, you know, I'm not a big Who fan. You know who's a huge Who fan? My dad. Yeah. My dad has, like, um, there's this beautiful box set from, like, I mean, this has got to be, like, 2002, three, whenever. Um, like, I forget what it was called, but, like, it had, like, ten discs, and it was gorgeous. And I remember him just, like, rocking that shit. Yeah. And I loved it, but I I never followed any of it because I only knew, who are you? You know, who? who? Oh, really? Uh, you know, I just knew the hits. I knew my generation, of course. I mean, these songs are, are embedded in our culture as much as anything else. But yeah, I didn't really know much about about the who. So um, I'm kind of I'm that's I think a, another weird point that I want to I want to I want to drive down that road, even just to kind of understand like what was the fuss all about because I don't honestly know because when they came to America. In the 1980s, you know, after they were around for about 10 years, because they kind of started right now, um, the Clash opened for them. So it's like they were still, like, they had this edge even then, you know. And they're they're obviously famous for these great songs and, you know, Tommy, Pinball Wizard and all of mm-hmm. that, you know. Uh, those are all indelible marks on music history. Like, I get that. But it's really cool that you go out with, like, a punk band like the Clash and kind of... That that's cool to me. That's that's weird. I don't I don't hundred percent understand that. But I like I know all of them. Like I know Keith Moon. I know John Entwistle. I mean, my God, you listen to him play bass. Holy fuck! I was gonna uh, say the, the bass even on this track. What the fuck? Yeah, John Entwistle is incredible. You know, Roger Daughtry is a great uh, singer, and obviously Pete uh, Pete Townsend. Townsend is. You know, I mean, you create that little thing that I mean, he has 
massive problems with his arms today. Cause really? Because of that? Did, does that all the time. Yeah. Crazy arm flail yeah, thing. Old stuff, old people stuff. But I mean, imagine saying like, oh, I got old from sitting at a desk for 30 years or I got old from, you know, almost being blown up on stage by, you know, by pyrotechnics <laughs> that were, I mean, he's deaf in one ear because it blew up. Holy they were shit. sitting next to his amp and fireworks were supposed to go up and it just blew up. I could have died. I mean, literally. Yeah. The band was due to mark the end of my generation with the usual smoke and instrument smashing. But, always the showman, Keith Moon was planning to go further than ever before, with ten times the standard dose of gunpowder hidden in his drum kit. I didn't know about, Kit didn't know about, the Who didn't know about. I mean, no one knew about this, the, the amount of cherry bombs that he put in his drum kit. And I don't even he knew about how big the explosion was going to be. The explosion caused a momentary breakdown in transmission across America. Pete Townsend claimed he was left permanently deaf in one ear, and a flying symbol sliced into Moon's arm. I mean, Keith Moon did die. He drove his fucking car into the... He drowned himself because he was so fucking drunk. God yeah, damn. yeah. I mean, the Who are... Rat. I mean, that's crazy <laughs> stories, you know what I mean? Like, they were definitely of that time, but they're the Led Zeppelin time where you've got that famous photo of, you know, Jimmy Page just guzzling... Um, you know, a bottle of Jack Daniels, just straight up. Like, what are you guys doing? Like, you're you're setting bad examples for the children. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I marched to the Battle of New Orleans at the end of the early British wars. The young land started growing, the young blood started flowing, but I ain't marching anymore. For I killed my share of engines in a thousand different fights I was there at the little big horn I heard many men lying, I saw many more die But I ain't marching anymore It's always the old to lead us to the wars It's always the young to fall you had not heard of Phil Oaks before. Never before in my life. Never heard a song. I ain't, ain't a marching anymore. What a great, what a great song. song. I mean, the in the album cover of him just like kind of squatting next to some mm-hmm. graffiti, mm-hmm. it made me go to his artist biography on Spotify, and it's the longest artist biography I've ever looked at. Granted, I haven't looked at Bob Dylan's. I haven't looked at a lot of people's. Right. But of the bands that I listen to, it is definitely But even like, like a Phil Oaks, like who is Phil Oaks? Like yeah. Bob Dylan, you would expect it to be long. Phil Oaks, you Who the fuck expect. is that guy? Because I've never heard of him. Okay. And That's the great. majority of it is him directly in comparison with Bob Dylan, which was funny and sad for him. But yeah, for what I gleaned, and he I didn't also even get did through that all of it. Somewhat to himself. So Fair enough. But apparently he was just a, a folk singer who was very politically charged. He, he was. was a journalist too. Yeah. So he was kind of like doing reporting via music. Well, he wanted to he wanted to raise issues. He was very adamant about what he was talking about uh the fbi had 500 pages on him over the course of his life even after he died they still considered him dangerous what the fuck is right uh he he committed suicide 1976 uh however he things did not go that well for him uh in mid 19 um 1975 oaks took on the identity of john butler train he told people that train had murdered oaks and that John Butler train had replaced him. So Philox was not in a great place. Without going deep into uh, the song itself, one of his biographers explains his motivation, quote, by Phil's thinking he had died a long time ago. He had died politically in Chicago in 1968 in the violence of the Democratic National Convention. He had died professionally in Africa a few years later when he had been strangled and it left um, and felt that he could no longer sing. He had died spiritually uh, when Chile had been overthrown and his friend Victor Hara had been brutally murdered. And finally, he died psychologically at the hands of John Train, which is incredibly sad that he's yeah. going through all of this stuff. So the last time Bob Dylan met up with Phil Oaks was at Gertie's uh, Folk City in 1976. In Mark Elliott's biography of Oaks, he recounts a scene. So 
at this point, he goes by Luke Train, okay. who, we've, who we've gone by. So Luke Train, uh, he's describing the situation. So Luke Train kills Oaks in the Chelsea Hotel, walks out the hotel, and coincidentally, there stands Bob Dylan. He, again, he's sort of like... Doing a little bit of imagery. Called, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. A thin biography, so it's not really like exactly what happened. But um, there he sees Bob Dylan, Oaks's friend, enemy jealousy figure, rival in poetry, and in Oaks's opinion, sellout. The greatest writer of all time, number one. The greatest sellout of all time, number two. Train grabs Dylan by the collar and says, Listen, asshole, you were Shakespeare at 25 and now you're dog shit. Dylan is really a cheap little Jew who happens to be a genius, but only for five years. Someone interjects, okay, two years, based on speed and all other drugs and a lot of help from Newarth and Grossman. And that's um, Bob Newarth and Albert Grossman, his manager. And there's other incidences that night where he, like, picks up a knife and is like trying to get Bob to come on stage. He's like, come on, Bob, come sing us a song. Come sing for me. And Bob's like, I'm going to the bar. And it's like, you know, he's not coming back. And um, yeah, it's like a really pitiful, sad scene. Uh, it makes you really fucking sad. Scarlett Rivera, um, we don't always hear a lot. I don't know if we've ever mentioned her outside of Desire, but he, she actually was there. She noted that after Dylan heard of his suicide a little bit after when they were on the road, Quote, I was sitting at the table when he got word about that, and he was really upset and angry that he had done that to himself. It was a combination of real sadness and anger. A couple of days went by when he was missing. I think he took the news very, very hard. Before he came back to the rehearsals, he wanted to clear his mind. Yeah, it's just like a really troubled end to such a, I don't know, brilliant songwriter and a, I don't know, great guy. That's intense. I know, it's a really intense scene, and I know Bob... You know, like anybody, you would just sort of like, I can't put up with this shit. I can't do this. But that sort of, that jealousy, that, that, and, and I kicked off, you know, our episode on Highway 61 with the words that Phil Oaks had said in a different time um, about Highway 61 and how influential of a record it is, how great it is, what it does to your brain, how it opens your mind up to new experiences. And you are doing what art is supposed to do over and over. You listen to this over and over. It's always going to give you something new. And it's wild that in the end, it sort of devolved the worst aspects of, that relationship were the things that kind of got maintained by that Luke train. You know, I'm not I'm not a huge connoisseur of his, but anytime I put on a record, I'm I, I love it. I'm just like I'm kind of weirdly transported. He does he does the newspaper songs well. You know, I think sometimes it gets really boring in other people's hands. Even Bob sometimes I can't really go back and listen to the newspaper songs, but he does a really good job. He picks he picks like from the newspaper in a way that's not like super obvious. He picks a song. He picks topics that you don't actually know about and also transcend the very particular moment in time mm. and make them much bigger than what they are. So I Ain't a March Anymore is a great example of, you know, that's obviously about Vietnam. It's about standing up and not saying that you want to go to war and that this is the way the future is going to go. Very optimistic as to how we were going to, you know, do things. But he also transported himself back to the Battle of Little Bighorn, which we heard about. I talked all about Custer on this podcast. Mm -hmm. That's what he was referencing and went all the way back to the War of 1812 when the British were invading. Like he, He's recounting all of American history in one little song and I think that's brilliant. I think when you can do that, you're a great songwriter. So We haven't talked about the Beatles since fourth time around. Well, Ticket to Ride I've definitely heard before. Oh yeah. Yeah. That song's really sweet. It's beautiful, yeah. And I feel like I've heard it in a movie somewhere mm-hmm. or something. It definitely. I mean, like every Beatles song ever has been in a movie well, somewhere. But I'm not, sure, but I mean, maybe now. But the, it was for the longest time the Beatles songs were not in movies. That's, that that was the right. charm. Nobody of it had all. The, the money until Michael Jackson sold it. That's so right. MJ, what are you doing? Yeah, the Beatles were famous. I mean, that that era I think is all gone. But I mean, you go back like twenty years ago. It was all about keeping these songs now that are so commercial in our minds from being on movies and stuff like that. Like, Bob Dylan, no way. And then he rolls in in a fucking Victoria's Secret commercial, and you're like, yeah, this makes sense, but it also is fucking crazy. Like, what Very the sad. fuck? That little riff, there's that opening riff. Yeah, Not so beautiful. much them singing, but it sounds like a 90s indie band riff. It does. It's so cool. Also, when it gets later on with the... Mm-hmm. It does all that weird, whatever the hell that is. That's like a piano type of thing. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, I love that. I, lo- I mean, I love Rubber Soul, like, a lot. It's a great fucking record. <laughs> uh, do you listen to The Kinks? I've heard The yeah. Kinks. Not okay. this song. Yeah. This song I had heard before. I'm not a big Kinks fan. It's Growing, a follower of fashion one, right? Follower of fashion. This is a definitely a queer-coded song. He is talking about a gay man, for sure. 
the kinks are I didn't get it when I was younger, but I think this is a band that I think as you get older it makes more sense. What's their big single? Lola? Oh yeah, Lola. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. L-O-L-A, Lola. Yeah. Oh, you really got me, of course. There you go. That's, that's the one. That's though. the money. <laughs> all day and all of night, yeah. Anyways, but Girl, I want you to be with me. But then they get kind of like spacey. They get in like um like a direct influence for me of like they might be giants, cake, mountain goats. Huh. Like they get into a very esoteric, weird like I'm now a British high lord and like like a mighty <laughs> python sketch, but in song. It's just, I am an opera singer. That's a cake song. Oh, see there you go. Yeah, they were probably. <laughs> Um, fucking influenced by Arthur or the decline and fall of the British Empire, like from 1969. And not that's really. considered one of, uh, yeah, what, not only their best, but one of like the best of 1969, a, a year of tremendous um, competition uh, in that year. So that's pretty high praise. And I listened to that this week and I'm like, yeah, amazing. I had a question for you. How the fuck did you like think, hey, Charlie Brown is on TV. I need to go cop this record. I need to understand, like, how do you know who the Vincent whatever trio Guardi, is. Guardi? Guardi. Guardi. How do you, how do yeah. you know? How, how did you even... For me, I, I would have never thought as a kid, this is a this is a band that made this. This is just part of a TV show. Charles Schultz did this, clearly. I would imagine that it was all in the cover. The cover clearly oh, has the peanuts oh, yeah, yeah. and the tree and everything. Mm-hmm. So it was probably... I don't know, you're at the record store with mom because she's picking up the newest, hottest, whatever. And Elvis. you're like, yeah, Elvis, <laughs> man. I mean, probably... And uh, you see that? You see that? Peanuts, You're just like, I like, need that. I this, watch that. I want this. And so she gets it so yeah. that she can give you something to listen to and calm your ass down because <laughs> there's no children's programming. It's yeah. just fucking 1965. And you're just like, da-da-da-da. And she's like, if I have to listen to that song one more fucking time, it puts on Elvis and then makes herself a drink. Is that? Oh, oh, I thought you were describing your. No, I'm asking you. How did you find? Oh, I thought you meant a kid in 1965. Oh, fuck no. I mean, as a kid, as a we were both kids. I heard this. I We, we both oh, watched yeah. this. I would have never thought I need to go cop this record. I, I need to know who did this music. That that sort of thing never occurred to me when I was younger. Yeah. Did you? Were you as a kid? Did you listen to this, or did you listen to this as like an adult? Oh, this was more of an adult thing for okay, sure. So you I didn't might have, have this album when you were a kid, or something. It might like have that. been in the rotation, but I don't think so. I don't think my mom was. No, no, it definitely wasn't because my mom did not care for the Peanuts, and I we didn't watch Charlie Brown Christmas <laughs> for the Peanuts. <laughs> did not. And uh, wait, you never watched Charlie Brown Christmas? No, I didn't what was watch this that. Willow's like household, Jesus, four Christ. years ago. I don't think. I'm gonna have a hard time explaining this to my dad. You really think it'll bother him? Ira Rosenberg's only daughter nailing crucifixes to her bedroom wall. I have to go over to Xander's house just to watch a Charlie Brown Christmas every year. Um, but when I did, but I had heard the songs. I definitely heard this. I don't think I anyone in the, the world hasn't heard Lance yeah. and Lucy. Like, and shit, shit. I might have listened. I might have watched it when I was a kid. I don't remember, but it definitely wasn't like it was not Dolly Parton Christmas. Right. It was not. Oh yeah. <laughs> <Jesus> <laughs> the many beloved uh, other Christmas albums I listened to. <laughs> Elvis. Elvis and Aloha Christmas. Yeah. yeah. What's his name? Uh, not Perry Como, but that would have been it too. The other guy, <laughs> the other one, Bing Crosby. Bing Crosby. Um, yeah, when as an adult going back and listening to thinking about Christmas stuff, I was like, yeah. you know what I really like is that fucking Charlie Brown. I'm gonna yeah. get into this. Okay, that's cool. I'm, yeah. I'm gonna do it. Yeah, and then I I actually listened to a couple of their other albums yeah, yeah. Um, from the they're 50s fantastic, really good stuff. That Linus and Lucy thing really surprised me because when I first got it, I was trying to pick. I didn't want to pick a Christmas song because we already did our Christmas mm-hmm. thing. So I was like, all right, what is the most benign one? And I didn't realize that was the name of the what you would think of when you think of peanuts. That I thought that the whole song was going to be that. The restraint that they that they have to not just milk that that hook over and over and over okay, again. So it breaks into another song. Yeah. It's incredible. It's incredible to me that they were not just like we're going to hit him at the end with it again. We're not <laughs> you know, we're going to do it. And I and I have this weird fascination with songs that just tease it out and they don't deliver it and it's just like oh you really did a solid right there i i just have so much i have so much um respect for the the level of integrity that's like 
we're not just going to give you what you want. I like that. I really do. I don't know why. That's a weird thing to like. You can hear the piano in the background mm-hmm. doing that, but it's underneath a lot of layers, and you're like, oh, it's coming back. It's coming back. It's coming fucking back. And then it's <laughs> over, and you're like, no. And then you start it up, and they play that thing within the first 40 seconds. Oh, yeah. And then you're like, oh, God, I have five more minutes before I get back to that hook. Well, I'll listen to it. It's a good song. But, man, i got to play it again then after. That's the good. That's the best crack. That's the best kind of music. Jackson C. Frank. Catch a boat to England, baby, maybe to Spain. Wherever I have gone, wherever I've been and gone, wherever I have gone, the blues are all the same. Send out for whiskey, baby, send out for gin Me and room service, honey Me and room service, babe Me and room service, well, we're living a life of sin What an incredible, 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 incredible song. Um, It's been recorded a lot. Nick Drake, your boy, Mm. he actually recorded this one privately. He just recorded this for himself. It wasn't found until after he he died, mm. which I think is incredibly beautiful and touching. Like this is just a song. He's like, I just gotta play this song because this song speaks to Maybe me. Maybe I haven't heard that. I don't know. This is totally up his alley. Yeah. Oh yeah. Excuse me. Hundred percent. So yeah, Jackson uh, C. Frank is is incredibly interesting. March twenty third, nineteen fifty four, when he was eleven years old, a furnace exploded uh, at his elementary school uh, in uh, in New York. The fire killed fifteen students, including. Oh, uh, someone who was his girlfriend, a girl named Martha. He later wrote a song about her. Um, he suffered 50% burns on his entire body. He then moved on with his life, but this this thing is what he thought was always haunting him. He was um, diagnosed as schizophrenic, but he never believed it because he thought he was just suffering from a childhood trauma. And he's like, I'll just get over it. I'll be, I'll be fine. Uh, he went off to England. He kind of lived a normal life as far as I could tell. He went off to England. Paul Simon. He met Paul Simon. While in England, and again, this is before Simon and Garfunkel, and um, and Paul Simon um, worked on his first record with him. They recorded it. They played in English coffee houses and stuff like that together, uh, folk circles, and he recorded that album. He produced it, I mean. He produced the album. Um, there's a story that Frank was so shy during the recording um, that he shielded the screen so that Paul Garfunkel and Al Stewart could not see him saying that, uh, I can't play, you're looking at me. So there's this level of like disconnect between wanting to be a musician and play live and stuff like that and being completely unprepared for what that sort of thing takes. Um, and until you do it, it's that is a weird thing. Everybody thinks they could probably like be a rock star, but it is mm-hmm. scary as shit when you get up on a stage and play in front of people. It's weird, but it's also a high. But if you're not at all connected to what you're doing, it's just going to be a terror. So he went, his visa ran out, like a lot of people went back to the U.S., um, but things just started to go downhill for him. He came back to England. Nobody recognized him at that point. He sort of became a shell of himself. Any self-confidence that he had from that record, which people were digging, completely evaporated. Um, one day, somebody, some uh, folk aficionado in, uh, in New York was like, hey, you know, they were talking about folk with a friend, or Jackson C. Frank. And he's like, I've never heard of that guy. And he's like, listen to this. And they listened. And he was like, who is this guy? Where is he? I need to talk to him. So they ended up meeting one day and it ended up that he was like a complete shell of himself. He had like a, was it thyroid thing from when he was burned? Hmm. So he was he, like in his picture, he's just like, he looks like a guy. But in that, but in real life, he was way bigger. I mean, he's like 300 pounds or something like that. So he just didn't look anything like him and he was disheveled. And so the guy who he met, who was this aficionado, was like, we're going to try to bring you back. Like, we're going to try whatever we can do. But he couldn't sing like he could before or anything like that. And then what's really insane, we talked about on You Want to Ramble, um, Sleepy John Estes got hit in the eye with a rock and left him blind. Frank, later on, while he was sitting on a bench in Queens, uh, just sitting there, he was shot with a pellet gun by some kids, and he was blinded in his left eye. It was one of those wrong, you know, wrong place, wrong time scenarios. Like, it just... It was just a pellet gun. It was a nothing gun. It wouldn't if it hit him just on the face, nothing would have happened. But because Man. it hit him right in the eye, it damaged his eye, and he was uh, and he was blind. 
And uh, he died of pneumonia and cardiac arrest in Massachusetts in 1999 at the age of 56. So an incredibly sad, depressing ending to a really beautiful song. So he only made the one album? Just made the one album. And he had outtakes and other cuts and stuff that they had found through the years, but... And this was this was a treat. This is an album I've like had on a list for a long time to listen to, and it was really awesome to listen to it for real. And it was beautiful. Yeah, what I never great. Heard, yeah, no, no, heard I heard about I, it or heard of them. Yep. And this was always one of those. I think I think we're always drawn to that sort of thing as well. Like just the the one off record. Like what is up with that one off record? They're always kind of weird, you know. Like what? Why is it only one? Where yeah. did this come from? It's like uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Like you wrote one book, one classic book. Where's the next book? You didn't write another book until a year before you die. Like what a weird, why? Why didn't you write another book? Why didn't you make another album? Like the reasons why people do and don't do the things they do is fascinating to me. The Shangri-Las. Is she really going out with him? Oh, there she is, Linda. Betty, is that Jimmy's ring you're wearing? Mm-hmm. Gee, it must be great riding with him. A doo-wop lady band group. Um, I've definitely heard the Shangri Laws before. Me too. And uh, this is not the only song of this genre or era-ish to have like a moral lesson or somebody died. Like Dead Dead Man's Curve, Devil's this Curve. This is a teenage tragedy song. Yeah, a it's like a whole genre, genre for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was fun. I like it a lot. It was great. I mean, it was like jarring at the at first because it's like. Where'd you meet him? I met him at a candy <laughs> store. And I was like, no. <laughs> no. It's going to be great. Forbidden. You are not allowed to be with this with this boy. Yeah, tires screeching. and. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was just rich. It was rich. According, I told him to drive slow. Yeah. <laughs> According to legend, to add an authentic sound of the motorcycle engine, one was brought up through the lobby of the hotel and up to the recording studio. <laughs> This 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 did not actually happen. Uh, no one was arrested, but a ticket was issued. This was debunked forty years later, though, by one of the people doing an interview. They're like, "No, we just that was just a stock footage." <laughs> nice. Don't drive too fast, kids. Then we go through like an R&B suite, which I thought was pretty fun. Smokey Robinson, Wilson Pickett, Otis Redding, uh, Martha Reeves, Dancing in the Street. Mm-hmm. We've all heard that one. Um, so I, I really liked all of those. You know, Smokey Robinson, not someone that I've listened to a lot of Track of I've My Tears. I've heard that song for sure. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that song too. Um, Wilson Pickett in the Midnight Hour, of course, that's um, that's a great song. Um, and that's how strong my love is by Otis Redding. Both the Otis Redding songs on here are amazing. Uh, Otis and Blue Mm -hmm. is on my soul playlist. It's one of the best soul albums of all time. Not according to me, but like by everybody. Oh. And. uh, Consensus. What was the last one you said? Maybe one? Dancing in the Street? Yes. That song I thought was made in like the 80s. Yeah. So that was a trip. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. When I heard that, I was like, Dancing in the Street, that is not going to be the one I think. Oh it God. is. Yeah. What's up, Martha? How's it going? Turn, 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 the birds. Yep. Uh, classic Weavers, yeah, Pete Seeger. Um, old lefty folk song. So this isn't their song either? No, not at all. Did no, the, the birds, birds ever are, no. write an original song? They did. They did. When they got to, uh, what is it, Cowboy, uh, Sweetheart of the Rodeo in 1968 was the original. Really good. But yeah, they really cut their chops covering everything. But that's also part of the world. Forty-one. 
To bring it all a little bit back home, the Paul Butterfield Blues Band, born in Chicago. This is Mike Bloomfield from Highway 61 Revisited. You might recall we did a podcast on that that you can go listen to right now. Years ago. <laughs> yeah, forever and ever and ever ago. Um, straightforward blues, just blue harmonica. And it's no Bob Dylan on harmonica. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's pretty good. Um, although the one, maybe I put it on here just... I don't know if if you were into it, but uh, but Astrid Gilberto. Oh, yeah, this song's fucking great. Okay. See, I, I can really, like, ever latch my teeth onto it. That's like, Mad Men world music shit. That's what I mean. So, like, yeah. I'm just like, I'm in a weird spot right now yeah. where I'm waiting in line in 1966. And yeah. I'm like, well, I'm waiting to cash my check. It's definitely playing on the speakers at a mall. Totally, totally. Yeah, and I so there's another little suite here of just kind of songs that are very emblematic of the time. Sort of the way music was going, you've got the Yardbirds. That song's fucking dope. Yeah, and that's... Jimmy Page is a part of the Yardbirds. Um, you have the Sonics, which for what it's worth, rockin'. Another song, like, out of time. This could be right today. This could be today. For sure. Yeah, the Sonics could be, yeah, a song that a band today would be writing. Especially, like, that riff and just the way mm-hmm. it all sounds. Fantastic. Them. Uh, Mystic Eyes, another classic song. So, uh, yeah, them. They're from, um, uh, from the UK. Uh, Van Morrison is on this track as well. Uh, old Daddy Van at this point is super old uh, in real life. But back then, you know, he's still kicking it. I mean, looking at his album cover, he is clearly like their father <laughs> watching over them. Very weird decisions are being made right there uh, on that record. Um, however, Junior Walker and the All-Star Shotgun. Is that not SNL? Like, Yeah, I mean, that... I mean, it is. What kind of music is that? Jay Walker and the All-Stars. And it's funk. I don't know. That's so weird. You hear that, I'm just like, I'm Bobby Moynihan. Yeah. <laughs> like, and a for piece sure. of toast. Like, yeah, it's <laughs> it's going to happen forever. And then at the, very, <laughs> and at the very end, we leave uh, We leave some of my favorite ones, actually. Uh, that's a lie. Johnny Cash's uh, Mama, You've Been On My Mind. Mm-hmm. Kind of a peek into it's a Bob Dylan song. Uh, and then Joan Baez with Daddy, You're On My Mind. The name of her album is Farewell Angelina, which is a Bob Dylan song. I mean, it's so gratuitous, Joan. It's so gratuitous. And you've written some good ones. But again, you're not really writing albums at this point. Like, you're not – Joan – I think if Joan were to go back in time, she would probably tell herself, write some songs, man. Like, be like Joni Mitchell. Joni Mitchell didn't exist yet, but you could have been Joni Mitchell. But when you're in that folk tradition, I think that's – we look back on it not not as as kindly as – the way that people like Phil Oaks were representing everything to be. Because in reality, it's kind of stifling. I mean, I could understand a Bob Dylan argument. Like, you're penning me down into a box. I don't want to be in a box. I want to do whatever I got to do. You're so beholden to these things that have already happened. And so and Joan like- Baez is really all about just the covering. And so are the birds. It's 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 really the way things go. Johnny Cash is no different. You know, Mama, You've Been On My Mind off of uh, Orange Blossom Special is pure classic Bob. You know, it's a Bob Dylan song. It's... Johnny Cash putting the twang guitar. It's there's nothing new about it. Um, So it's just I love putting those two back to back because, again, Bob Dylan's version leaps and bounds better. A little bit of rain. Fred Neal, someone I had never heard of, but what a voice. That's pretty. It's a pretty and even that that sounds modern too today. Mm -hmm. Like I mean that sounds like a um, a Bill Callahan type of song. Like Uh, and then one of my favorite guitar riffs ever. I am a rock. Winter's day in a deep and dark December. I am alone, gazing from my window. 
to the streets below On a freshly fallen silent shroud of snow I am a rock What a killer song, and that's part of Sound of Silence as well, too, because they knew that they had some goddamn hits on board here. Uh, so he went to record this record because he thought Simon and Garfunkel were done, and they are just like, yeah, re-record this and put this on. Sound of Silence, that's why Sound of Silence, I think, is so great, because it literally is the best output of Paul Simon mixed with the folk rockiness of, of Tom Wilson. Like, you have combined two geniuses, and then there's a guy named Art in the room as well. And you've got the three of them. That guy has a nice voice. Bring him in. Bring him in. That's fine. Uh, Paul says, stand in front of him. We'll make an album cover. A silly album be cover. be mocked forever. Because uh, fuck that guy behind him. He doesn't need a mouth and a face. <laughs> it's just so technically brilliant, and it's like – the perfect wedding song, which is hilarious mm. because the lyrics are like, fuck love, I'm my own person. But even that is such a, that's a dope ass wedding song. Yeah. That, I, that's like a great sentiment to have. Because I think the, what I took away from it was like on the surface of it, it's yeah, it's fuck love. I don't, I'm my own person. But for me, it's like until I met you is like uh, the unsaid part. Yeah. That's why it's like, that's what a beautiful song. See, that's beautiful. 1965 is bringing the heat. I got to say, it's bringing the love. It's bringing everything. That we love about music. Ooh. One we left off. Nina Simone. Oh, my God. Did we really? Yeah. Oh, that was like right up there at the beginning. Sin- Sinner Man. Sinner Man. What a great song. What a great song. I've never actually listened to Nina Simone. I knew who she was as an entity, as like a figure in music. And this song I actually have heard because of Timbaland. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Shock Value, he straight up takes the whole song and changes it to, oh, Timbaland, where you going to run to? And it's like... I heard that piano going, do, 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 do. It's like, that's fucking Timbaland. Oh, shit. I've heard this song. Oh, shit, Nina Simone. And uh, 10 minutes of just experimental jazz, if you will, pop fusion, incredible. Her voice, like, you can't stop it. And, oh, uh, yeah. I'm so glad I'm going to go and listen to Nina Simone. Well, you should not only do that, but you should go and watch the documentary on Netflix, What Happened, Nina Miss Simone. Nina Simone, yeah. Miss Simone, yeah. What happened, Miss Simone? Truly, 10 minutes, that is another 10-minute song that did not feel like 10 minutes. Oh, no. And when it got down to it and they were doing the clapping and stuff Mm -hmm. and they're all, holy shit. Like, that's on that Desolation Row cathartic level that only, like, yeah, exactly, live live music gives it a different. When you can capture that on an album, I think it's almost a little bit more heightened because, man, the chances of that are hard. But when you can do, like, live, live is probably even harder just in trying to get all of those forces together but man whoo that was that was transcendent it was beautiful and i was like 10 minutes oh my god but you know what we don't shy away from the hard decisions here at sign on the window (laughs) so uh i recommend everybody out there go and listen to this playlist it'll be linked in our twitter it'll be linked on our website it's good man it's It's a great playlist and i think we're just going to keep doing that as we get bob dylan albums keep doing years keep doing mixed up confusions about them because this is a great opportunity for us, two people born in the 19, late 1980s, to dive back into something that our parents were tangentially a part of, sort of. I mean, my um, mom definitely was. She would have been 15. Oh. 16. Okay. My mom would have been eight. Yeah. So big, hopefully not involved with drugs <laughs> at eight years old. But who knows what they do out in My mom was a greaser. Nice. Dude, your mom's dope. I know. 
My mom's dope. Our moms are dope. Way to go, moms. Uh, anyways, this is the end of Mixed Up Confusion. Um, I don't know when you're listening to this in time, but this was this was combined with episode 50, Highway 61 Revisited. If you're finding out about us now, we are at SOTWpod.com, SOTWpod everywhere, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of that good stuff. Tumblr, um, that's those things, slash SOTWpod. Uh, we're also on patreon.com slash SOTWpod. We do another show called You Want to Ramble that we don't edit at all. We just sort of cut all together. We put a lot of musical clips and we talk about our playlists in general. But because this week was such a celebration for 50 episodes, we thought it behooved us to come back. The last one was the cranberries. We got to keep. I know. I know. So we're going to keep doing mixed up confusions when it feels right. And we'll see you guys next next week if you're in real time. Episode 51, soon after midnight off of Tempest. Otherwise, wherever we are, have fun. Go back in time. It should be good from 50 on out. Start at 50. Let's hope. Let's work our way upward. We'll see you next week or some other time. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye.